Welcome to Design Assembly Conversations. In this series, we talk to Aotearoa New Zealand designers, hear their stories and celebrate their work. I'm Louise, Design Assembly founder, and today I'm talking to Heath Lowe. Heath Lowe is the Executive Design Director and a founding partner of Special in New Zealand, now with offices in Wellington, Sydney, Melbourne, Los Angeles and London. Hailing from America's Midwest, his career began in the US and Europe, working alongside some of the world's most ambitious companies. Nike, Tommy Hilfiger, Miller Brewing Company, and Footlocker, to bring their unique vision and products to market and connect their brand cultures to, well, real culture. His way of working encourages the listening and thinking it takes to define a brand's purpose and the customer needs it inform a product's promise. The goal is to design experiences that matter, whether it's a brand identity or packaging design, pop-ups or digital activations. This approach leads to work and results that make a difference to audiences, businesses, broader communities and culture. In his 13 years behind the wheel of Special's design business, Heath's team have been behind the award-winning work that has helped position New Zealand brands like EcoStore, Carmacola, Royal New Zealand Ballet and Rocket Apples among the best in the world and work that has endeared hearts and homes to local brands as diverse as the Oyster Inn, Tip Top, Mollenberg and Green Party. Heath believes done right, it's a great way to spend an honest day's work. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Heath. It's great to have you on the DA Conversations podcast and I'm looking forward to hearing all about where um, you've com- come from, how you got into design and um, what it is that you do day to day now. So um, I'd like to start with asking you, where do you come from? Well, uh, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, this should be a, a fun conversation. I come from a farm in Illinois. Yeah, I think that gives me a um, sort of a unique, well, maybe not for New Zealanders, it's not all that unique to come from a farm. But I think if you grow up on a farm, you do come from this place of pragmatism, and problem solving and this need to kind of do things yourself. Um, and my dad always had to jump in and do his own carpentry and welding and, you know, work on his own engines. So I, I, not that I'm good at much of that stuff, but I definitely did grow up with an appreciation for understanding, uh, I guess, seeing a problem and trying to go at that problem and um, come at the solution with a certain pragmatism. And was there any stage that you were looking at going into farming yourself or did you have influences around you that um, led you towards design? Um, I'd probably be closer to becoming a farmer now than I ever was when I was a kid. I couldn't wait to get off the farm. Um, I think a lot of a lot of farm kids do that. They see the bright lights in the big cities and, and they just want to get out of here and go to there. I was really influenced by, I guess, MTV culture. I grew up in the, you know, I was in high school in the 1980s. And listening to music, reading magazines, um, following fashion as much as you can do from a farm in Illinois. And I really did want to kind of um, be a part of of that and be a part of creative culture. So I saw that straight away. I just didn't know what part of that um, I could could, um, play in, I guess. And it took me a little while to figure out what that was going to be. Did you go and study design somewhere? I did. I went to Iowa State University, and you wouldn't think Iowa might be a creative hotbed, but they had a really great um, architecture program. So what I did is I went and studied architecture for the first two years of school, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed, the again, the problem solving, the creativity of it. I didn't enjoy the engineering, how long an architecture project takes. Um, I mean, it takes years upon years. 
Um, and so I started hanging out with these a group of people who had similar interests that I, that, as I did, you know, in, in music um, and art and so on. And they were all doing this thing called graphic design. And so to me, as soon as I heard that that was a thing that had a name to it, I thought, all right, yeah, yeah, that's something I could really be interested in. And I thought, I'll, I'll go and design record covers and magazines and things like that. And in my life now, I've designed exactly one magazine and maybe two record covers. <laughs> so it didn't, didn't exactly do that kind of design, but um, it, did, it did open the door for me. And I did get in and start to really love, um, I guess, that, that part of creative expression. Yeah. So did you um, transition to that gra- to the graphic design program or did you? Gra- yeah, I did. Yeah. I did transition. Um, it took me, yeah, an extra year to get through uni, but um, that's all right. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, the moment I was um, studying typefaces and um, graphic design history, you know, those sorts of, um, you know, graphic design heroes, um, I really felt like I was at home. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I think the influences in graphic design are so varied and so different. Mm. Um, following the work of someone like, like a traditionalist like T.R. Coleman um, and loving his record covers that he did for the Talking Heads, and then also then loving Neville Brody, who wanted to blow it all up, and then David Carson, who did blow it all up with Beach Culture and Raygun Magazine. Uh, I think it was such a dynamic time to to grow up in 80s and 90s culture because no one was really stuck in tradition at that point and they really did want to go make their own mark um made it hard as i think a young designer to find your maybe your um style or your approach but it also meant that all the influences were there to um to try a lot of different things and and kind of find your own path I can imagine a lot of it was still hands-on at that stage, like the early days of the desktop computer, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't use a computer till my senior year in school. Yeah. So we had this wax machine. It was crazy. You'd, you'd um, find your letter set, set um, which was all that rubbed-down type. Um, older designers will remember that. And instead of using it because it was so expensive, we'd photocopy it. And then we would run it through this thing that was like a wax machine and you run it through the machine and put wax on the back of the photocopier um, of, the, of the photocopied sheet. You take your exacto blade and then you'd cut out and reassemble all the type by hand. And then you'd, you'd um, then use that again to, to um, well, you couldn't even scan it and you just make bigger photocopies or smaller ones and then just keep cutting it out until you, you had, um, you had the, the poster that you wanted. And really, I think, it was kind of lucky it was grunge era and all that xerox um tape paste up look was was sort of a thing you know with art chantry and guys like that leading the way so we just leaned into it and it was sort of rough and punk rock and um, it was quite cool yeah um and then by the time computers came in we had to learn how to be i don't know plan better i suppose and and um and yeah, everything got a bit slicker after that. Following on from um, design school, uh, where did you get your start in the industry? I moved out to Portland, Oregon, um, not because I thought it would be a great design hub, but because they have mountains to go mountain biking and snowboarding and everything else. So I was really as interested in that part of life as I was in design. And I was lucky enough to bump into a really cool couple, um, Bruce and Sarah, who had a little um, design agency called Design Metro. And Bruce and Sarah had just come from Nike. One was a graphic designer and the other was a 
footwear and apparel designer. So immediately my first job out of school was this sort of multidisciplinary design studio, which is really amazing because I could do a bit of both. We could do, um, you know, graphic design work and then also get involved in, you know, making product and I guess understanding the relationship uh, between the two. So, you know, looking back on it, I suppose that has had an, an influence on the way I see design, which is not just one type of thing, but um, a lot of different kinds of, of problem solving and creativity. And what was your um, pathway that you, led you here to um, our little country, Aotearoa, yeah. New Zealand? That is a long story <laughs> that I'll try to keep short. Uh, after I, I left um, Design Metro and went and worked for a company called Johnson & Wolverton, and Johnson & Wolverton was right at the beginning of, I guess, what's now called um, branding. Uh, Alicia Johnson was a, um, a real strategist, um, untrained, but a real, like a natural strategist at heart. And she sort of saw the, the importance of um, getting a brief and you knew what the project was going to be. But before you could just deliver a visual solution, you need to get into the, com- the company um, get in under the hood, understand the culture of the company inside, really understand the audience, you know, and nowadays, you know, it's about consumer empathy. Everybody knows about that. And there's a process for that. At the time, she was just sort of making that up with a couple of other people. And so I became really, really intrigued with that, that side of design, I guess. And we had worked with Wyden and Kennedy quite a lot, the uh, advertising agency in Portland. And so we'd take on there. I am getting to the part where I come to yeah. New Zealand, <laughs> um, but we would take their advertising work, I suppose. So like for Miller genuine draft, they'd come in with the ad concepts and they'd want us to craft it. And what we do is um, we take that brief. We look into the culture of, you know, the audience that we were um, making work for. So on Miller genuine draft, for example, I, I worked on a lot of the Latin, what was called the Latino markets. So, uh, Mexican-American market in LA and Chicago and New York. And so we developed these these ways of uh, using type and texture and sort of poster, Mexican boxing poster layouts, for example, to design into. And what it did, it created a, a cultural connection with that audience. And the response that the audience had around sort of like, wow, I can't believe you guys actually get us. Um, I think that really inspired all of us at that time at Johnson and Wolverton to say, well, I think we're really, really on to, yeah, onto something and trying to get in and understand where we're uh, sending our, sending our messages, sending our, our work. And so they needed to, Johnson and Wolverton wanted to continue working with Wyden and Kennedy, who had just opened an office in Amsterdam. Then they asked me if I would go over there and um, was interested in moving over there to work with, with them opening that office. And of course, as a 28 year old um, young designer, you'd say, hell yeah, I'll yeah, definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of going how, to. How would I not know? Yeah, of, of your yeah. design, amazing. That's right. Mm. And so while I was there, I, um, I met my, my wife, Claire, who's a, um, she's a design strategist, a, a brand writer. And we worked at Johnson Wolverton for a while there. And then we left and started our own, our own uh, design studio. And then eventually found our way in New Zealand. How did that yeah. time in um, Amsterdam um, impact yourself as a designer, do you think? Um, well, that's really interesting because my my early, I guess, design and architecture influences had always been modernists. 
Um, but I, modernists with maybe a little bit of a, a funny, quirky twist. I always really admired the Eameses for, for all of their beautiful modern design that also had this sort of human kind of sensibility. Um, but when I got to, to Amsterdam, I, was, I already knew that I was interested in Dutch design, but I was interested in, you know, Wim Kral, who was doing graphic design. And then I realized they had that I, I learned more about all of the other disciplines of Dutch design over there, um, industrial design and architecture. And, um, you know, they're known for their, I guess, smile on the mind thinking sometimes, but they're also real, they're just quirky and a bit off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that offness is actually what makes them um, interesting thinkers. Mm-hmm. So they, I was thinking of a quote um, earlier, they have this saying, which is du mar chavon. And all it means basically is just be normal. And that's going to be strange enough or unique enough. So, you know, the more you follow your own nose, Hmm. the more interesting your work or your ideas can be because no one else would have thought to do that. Yeah, that really stuck with me um, and still does, you know, for a long time. They also said um, this little phrase that translates kind of to sometimes right is unright. And, you know, it means it's sort of saying sometimes this you know, the right answer is not the answer that you're looking for. Um, and maybe it's about the right angle isn't right angle. It's, you know, sometimes it's crooked. Or maybe it means sometimes the right is the wrong. Um, and you've got to, I think it just means you've got to step back and it's okay to have another point of view on something that someone else might not think is the right way, but you'll find a solution in there. So I think that Dutch kind of, the design is beautiful, the design is functional, but I think it's their way of, of thinking and approaching it that um, I kind of yeah opened the door for me to um, just being able to be unique and do it, you know, do it the way uh, that you would do it and see what, see what comes out. It's so interesting. And did you find that out kind of, you know, through conversations with people or did you learn the language or? Um, yeah, I learned a bit of the language um, and I worked with, uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of local Dutch people. I think actually, um, interestingly, an influence, uh, someone I learned a lot about design from is this typographer called Rene Troman. Mm-hmm. His dad, as it turns out, was um, Otto Troman, who is one of the most famous gra- Dutch graphic designers from the post-Second World War um, period. But I've just been texting Rene because it's been his birthday. Um, but he told me a lot of these sayings and we talked a lot while I went and sort of apprenticed with him a little bit, very, very informally in his, in his um, print shop. So the first thing he made me do is go and organize all of his, all of his type, which is a massive, massive task. Um, but he would just, yeah, talk about, I think the quirks and, and um, Dutch design and, and not just design, but just um, the point of view, you know, the Dutch culture. And I think it, it just creates that sort of openness for experimentation and and uniqueness to thrive. Yeah, I love that. And I think mm. you can I can see that um thinking influence have that's influenced your work at um special. Well, we definitely don't um we don't want to follow, I guess, a a, a well-trodden path if we can help it. Um I think that's probably uh that's probably a similarity. Um, yeah, we're, we are interested in finding uh, new ways of, you know, of, um, of tackling the brief. Um, and, and we're not so interested in, say, a, um, a studio style or, you know, a, 
a, a style of either design or advertising or copywriting or photography that we always stick to. I think we feel really much more comfortable when we're led by the brief, led by the problem. And we can find that, really dig in and find that strange, unique problem and that tension inside of the issue um, and then put a bespoke solution towards that. And I guess if you do that, then again, it, it can't help but be unique because it was a unique problem in the first place. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, I think that's a good a good way to jump into a problem and mm. really look for uniqueness in it. So we should circle back a, a little bit and um, mm. explore kind of uh, what you did when you first arrived here and and what led to um, special. Yeah, when we first arrived here, it's a bit of a detour yeah. as well. Uh, my wife and I had decided that we were sort of not so interested in doing design work for clients anymore. And so we filled a 40-foot container with Dutch furniture oh, furniture, <laughs> and we shipped it back here with us and opened a furniture store. Wow. Yes. So we did, took two years. We kind of, we tried to take two years off mm. of, um, or we tried to quit graphic design, design altogether. Yeah. And it took about two years of that store and we really, really loved it. But we started a family at, um, at that time and uh, we were living on Waiheke and we had moved into town and something sort of had to, had to change um, in this sort of dream of a furniture store scenario. Uh, and then I, I had met Tony Bradbourne when we were both in Amsterdam and he was working at a, some big um, advertising agencies at the time. And he's trained as a designer as well. And so we, we shared this, I guess, design and advertising um, adjacency uh, where the two live near each other, but they're, they're not the same as each other. And he and I were both complaining about each other's industries. So I was complaining that I'd, work on these brands and build out these uh, really useful, beautiful brands and brand books and guidelines. They get briefed into an agency and you'd all of a sudden you'd see television commercials and billboards that have absolutely nothing to do with where the brand came from. And his response was, well, if you were on in his shoes, you'd see all these really sort of limited brand guidelines that wouldn't let you do anything or be creative or tell stories well enough so you'd have to go in from his point of view, you'd have to go and recreate, you know, what the brand was about and tell new stories in a way that wasn't in that guidelines book. So we thought, well, why don't we agree to agree and uh, get these two industries closer together? So just as I was wondering how to get out of a, where to go from a furniture business, um, Tony and I started talking about special. And so, yeah, that's basically how it, how it came about. Mm. And that's quite a unique um, proposition from the get-go then. It is. Uh, and it's still, there are more people. I think the two, I think uh, creativity has now become a lot more blurred. Yeah. You know, And that's because of the different channels, I suppose, that we work in. So what is an advertising idea? What is a design idea? What is a brand idea? Um, it's a little blurrier now. So I think it's, maybe it's a bit more normal now. But yeah, at, at the time, yeah, it really was quite distinct you have a design company graphic design and you have advertising and uh, I I guess the digital world has brought those two those two industries closer together as well we both have to work through social media through um, you know little brands being animated on screen um, telling stories in motion um, using all the you know all the tools we all use more tools now that kind of 
overlap onto one another's territory a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's been a huge um, shift from those um, TVCs now to the um, digital uh, campaigns, right? I mean, how many years has um, Special been around for now? I think 14. Yeah. I'm pretty sure 14 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I still don't, I still don't do advertising personally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have, uh, but I've learned quite a, quite a good deal um, from having advertising, you know, as part of the business. Yeah. And I think our, our design team is able to look further forward to Tony's point, fairly create, start to create brands that do have enough sort of life and legs uh, to be able to um, move on out into the world as, as advertising, as storytelling. Yeah. We always have the back of our mind, would John Owen and Lisa like to use this brand? Would Stu like to pick this up and then tell stories with it? So it's, you know, it's for us to hand, you know, good, a good brand over to our, the rest of our team is really important. So it sharpens our, our skill set, I think. Yeah. And you can think about how it lives in the world and in mm. quite a wide and varied way, really. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And you can, yeah, it has to live beyond just a, um, just a package on a shelf yeah. for sure, or just a piece of, of POS um, beyond that, or oftentimes um, beyond just the logo typeface and mm. a color palette, you know, in a, in a guideline. Um, and then sometimes if, if that's handed over clients and um, sort of related um, business partners don't quite know how to use it. So yeah, we do, we think a lot more widely about how something comes to life. Yeah. Do you have brand guidelines um, expanded or contracted then? <laughs> well, that's interesting because um, yeah, I think that the, it's interesting the guideline itself, which I find different than a brand book, yeah, the guideline has expanded because you have more channels you have to work into, of course, from print to digital, from static to motion. Um, sound is now, you know, sound mnemonics now are part of a brand and, and need to be guidelined as well. Um, but then the brand book, I hope, hasn't completely faded away, but certainly is not on uh, the common list of deliverables, I wouldn't say anymore. Mm. I think yeah. New Zealand clients in particular, perhaps, I mean, the, let's, let's face it, our, our market here isn't as big, so the budgets aren't as big. So I think it can be, you know, the brand book can be seen as a bit frivolous. Um, and so we, what we end up doing often is working a nice brand story into what becomes essentially the guidelines. So maybe the two are emerging. Mm. But I do remember the day of the most beautiful brand books yeah. being absolutely the hero of any brand. Yeah, and I'd love to see those come back. I know. Well, I wonder if um, there's just that acceptance that it can be more fluid, and and in a way, the character or personality of the brand may move and shift over time, but has you know a set of kind of of values um, that it adheres to. So you know, therefore, you can uh, not have the um, brand book as much. Yeah, that's that might be part of it. it there are a lot more, um, not a lot more places for a brand to express itself mm. through its life rather than in a big book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These days, um, your job title is special is oh, my job title. My job title is a little bit made up. Yeah. <laughs> partly because of, um, I think this this world of advertising design coming together. So my yeah. job title is executive design director. Yes. Um. But what that means is that I am a design director who is also a part of um, the executive of, 
of special group. So yeah. being a founder, co-founder and a partner of special means that there's a board of directors and, and, um, and actually a, a number of them, depending on uh, which special we're talking about in which country. Yeah. Um, so that takes a, on a, a good part of my, of my time is the executive part of it, being a part of running the business and growing the business and working with partners in our other offices. And then the other part is still being a design director, but these days less so much, less so on the tools for sure. Yeah. And more in, I'll be upfront on, um, more upfront on working on the strategy um, with the strategic team and, and then checking in with the, the design team when ideas come up and, you know, the project gets a bit further along the way to check in and, and all have a good conversations about, are we still on strategy? Um, where's it going? Does it have legs and all of that? And then funny enough, I sometimes come in, um, in funny, different little parts too, where I'm not on the tools, but someone will say, I don't know how you might, uh, do this retouching in Photoshop. <laughs> and then I'll be the, I'll be the day of hand in Photoshop and I don't mind jumping in and kind of helping out on things like that day to day either. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's just the way that that goes sometimes. So yeah, from the very, yeah, the very, um, big picture down to some of the smaller details, mostly it's about, um, yeah, the, the growing of, um, special and the keeping, keeping the special brand itself, mm. um, in line and on target. Yeah, that's so interesting because it's quite like a, a different mindset, isn't it, um, that you're in, in each of these um, areas. So how do you kind of chunk that up like day to day or week to week? With you? <laughs> I wish I could say Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays were spent <laughs> on special and Tuesdays, Thursdays were spent on other brands. Um, no, it really just interleaves. It just yeah. it just kind of it's it's really quite fluid, mm. uh, which sometimes is is the best way to be. Um, sometimes is a bit more challenging, um, but I do think just treating special as another brand that, you know, is in, is in the building or in the buildings, uh, that we need to spend time on time and attention on, uh, and growing just like we would any other client's business is really the best way to do it. Yeah. Otherwise it's a bit like the so-called, um, builder's deck, you know, <laughs> that never gets, never gets built because he's so bu- busy building and what everyone else's. Yeah, is it something that you've um, prioritized from the beginning of special, or is that something that's emerged kind of more recently as you've grown? Yeah, it's more. I guess it's always been something is, is that we've needed to focus on. Mm. But when we first found partners in Sydney mm. uh, to open the Sydney office, uh, they very much were on a mission to to you know grow an office there mm. and you know, we came in behind and supported in doing that, but we wanted them to create, they wanted to create their own culture there, which makes perfect sense because um, Sydney and the Sydney market, the Auckland or New Zealand market are quite different. And so I think then it was a matter of, it just felt a little bit more natural to just uh, work on, work on special a little bit more than we used to. But yeah, now that uh, we're in six different markets. Yeah. Uh, now it does take a real focused effort to to do what we would the kind of work that we would uh, recommend to our clients, which is to to create a cohesive brand, to be uniform, yeah. to turn up as one global brand, um, and make sure that no matter where in the world we are working with a client, they feel like they're working with special. Yeah, I mean that's from telling our our story about um, what special means and how it's about 
the work that we do that's special. It's not about us. Yeah. It's about that work yeah. um, through to how we, yeah, how we turn up on a website or um, in a presentation, how we tell our, our story through case studies and credentials. So, yeah, it is. And with so many different personalities, of course, in different corners of the world, it's just as difficult for us as it is for other other clients that we work with that are um, working internationally yeah. and trying to get everyone around, you know, a single-minded kind of point of view. But, um, yeah, really important to get right. Yeah. And, yeah, we all share a vision, so yeah. that helps. And it's getting us all in, in one way, going one way. And then working on that internally, um, as you say, it's um, that's what we're you're doing every day for your clients. So um, strengthens um, those muscles. Yeah, it definitely does. It's funny because a little issue that will, you know, a problem that will um, pose itself, say working on the special brand, mm. can be applied towards, you know, another client's brand really quite transferably, of course. Um, yeah, so it's a really... Yeah, it's a really good learning mm. opportunity, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And that that's um, incredible growth with um, six locations. Um, was that intentional or just kind of gone with the flow in that respect? Oh, we always knew when we started the business here in New Zealand, we, we thought, well, this will run its course before too long. And we wanted to work on bigger work in the world and while we're living in New Zealand. Um, but we knew that those bigger briefs wouldn't come in only in New Zealand. So we really needed to get out and, um, and have, I guess, open the door to more opportunities to work globally. And so that's when um, Sydney really became an interesting thing for us or Australia, basically. And Sydney became, was, was the most interesting city for us. And so that was on the cards quite early on. And then as soon as we got working with the Sydney team, we started just thinking about, um, using, I guess, using our work to meet interesting clients who are going to other markets, but then also um, being able to find interesting talent um, in those other markets as well. So we started saying, well, we'd, we would be open to you know, other offices or other opportunities if a great client went in there, or if we knew that there was a really great creative team or a, a really um, fantastic sort of uh, GM or someone that was in a territory that we were interested in. And so it just, we left our, I guess we left our minds open to the possibility of that. Mm -hmm. So yes, it was planned, but yes, we do it very opportunistically. That's part of the strategy. Yeah. Do you, do you um, collaborate internationally or do you have teams that are working on different projects or? Yeah, we do. Um, the Los Angeles office basically came to life because the um, Australian group had been working on Uber Eats, mm. all the Uber Eats campaigns. And there was an opportunity to work in the North American market. And so that team pitched for that work um, and won the pitch and then immediately set about um, finding good creative talent um, in the States. And LA was where we really wanted to be. Um, but those teams still collaborate back and forth quite a lot. So the Australian team, this, the Sydney team and the LA team work on, um, Uber Eats quite a lot now. And I think um, then the other project we're working on is with our new London office, and that's going to be our design team here yeah. with strategy done out of Sydney. But we'll be working with um, our London team to deliver that for a client based in Spain, mm. essentially. Yeah. So I think you know, COVID sort of played a little role in opening the, 
the door to possibilities. People can say, oh, well, I, I suppose we worked from home for so often. We can work at, at distances yeah. and we collaborate well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely part of what we like to do is get around a project or a, a problem together, no matter where we are, and just use our each of our talents to uh, bring the bring the project to life. It's so great because then, as you say, you can work with talent anywhere in the world. Um, and then there must be something about being there locally as well and, and understanding that locality yeah. and working with the clients face-to-face. So um, it must present a lot of opportunities both internally and um, externally as well. Yeah, that's for sure. And you could, you know, you could do, I suppose you could do a, a Super Bowl ad from Australia yeah. for Uber Eats, but being on the ground in the in the place where the Super Bowl lives and when the Super Bowl comes from is definitely a, a huge part of understanding again that mm. you know that market and that culture. Um, the Amer- American culture has a real different way of, um, I guess, falling in love with creativity and and um, then sharing it around than other places in the world. So, yeah, you're you're right. It's a yeah, it's a great global and local uh, benefit really to work together. And do you keep the kind of the teams in each locality, are they kind of to a certain size or do you um, think that, you know, as you were talking about, like bigger is kind of means that you can work on um, bigger projects and with bigger clients? Um, Yeah, we just, we sort of grow with the opportunity as well. Uh, We've got, you know, we set a plan for how much resource we think we'll need um, for the, the coming year, you know, based on how, on the sort of business that we expect to come in. So there's a lot of uh, planning around that, but yeah, generally I think the, for example, in the U S I think a larger office will be in LA because there's a lot of, of talent there and there's, there's room to grow there with the types of clients. And then, you know, if there was another um, part of the U S that seemed interesting, maybe that would be a sort of a smaller office that, that sort of feeds into that, uh, the larger LA office. So we sort of think in, I don't know, in pods, I guess. And, um, and yeah, sort of imagine where we could go in a, in a particular region, but yeah, I wouldn't say that it's got a, a, a boundary or a fence around um, what that could be. Yeah. But let's come back to kind of design and, and um, perhaps you can talk about either like a project that, you know, stands out for you early on in your career or a recent project, um, you know, something that you might've learned a lot from or, went incredibly well or hmm. yeah I think Carmicola does come to mind there's a big lesson that we learned on on working on Carmicola with Simon and um, Chris and Matt and I think that's about has a lot to do with maybe how special has grown as well Hmm. we've we've leaned in since we first started we started working early on with um, the Green Party and with EcoStore and these brands with a purpose brands with you know, wanting to make a difference in the world. And so we're really happy to, to lean in and help those brands um, to do that. And Carmicola was one of those opportunities. And the guys first came in to us and said, hey, we want to, we have an idea to create this cola brand that could take on the big cola brands and show them how to do it right, you know, and give back to the people in the world who have actually invented cola and who grow the cola nut and have always been, you know, neglected and not, not included in the economic success of, of cola. And so one way you could do that is to lean in and 
tell that story straight away. Hey, we're helping, you know, we're helping out this community and, um, and be real earnest about it, I suppose, and say, Hey, come and come and buy this cola because it's helping someone out. Or you could create a really exciting cola brand, uh, that everybody just sees on the shelf and goes, that looks amazing. That's different. I'm going to have a look at that. Could I, could I have one of those colas? And then after you pick it up, you get to see what's on the back label. You get to hear about the story. Um, and then you get to, I guess, fall in love with it um, a bit more deeply. So I think that's a really great, that's a really great uh, lesson that we learned in branding, which is, yeah, not to be maybe too earnest or too beyond the nose with the story, but um, present something really exciting and then back it up uh, with the purpose. And so I think, yeah, I think the, the whole world is probably moving in that way now. There's a lot of great companies who are doing a lot of good work for communities, not just for their own businesses. And I think they're, they're ending up being pretty interesting brands, very interesting brands and, um, and doing a, a good deed along the way. Yeah, I agree with your sentiment there that um, we're definitely moving in that, that, that direction. And it's, I think, uh, you know, the audience and, and the world as a whole is um, matured in that respect and mm. you can't um, pull the wool over people's eyes, so to speak, and it's, right. it, it's seen through very quickly. And you must have seen a lot of changes and um, shifts over your time um, in the design industry. Does mm. there anything that stands out in particular as uh, quite pivotal? I think, yeah, mostly it's all the channels that yeah. work needs to go into these days. And you'll know that really well, you know, running your organization too. Um, you know, and I suppose a lot of it, in my experience too, comes from working alongside the advertising industry. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, but this whole company between this whole company and now we have a, a PR a group within special as well. Um, we really do hit all the channels. Mm. So just the idea that every brand needs to flex between, you know, a little small logo, a type treatment, um, one still image that has to tell the whole brand in one. But then also, oh, you have a 60 second TVC that can also elaborate on that brand. And then you have social media channels, of course, that can tell 130 stories a, a week if it wants to. Yeah. So I think that's definitely the biggest change. Mm. Um, it's interesting. You can see some brands run out of content. That's right. Because there's so many, so many places to talk, but not all that much to talk about. And so it gets quite thin, I think, quite, quite quickly. So I don't know, maybe we'll find a nice little balance there one day where the good stuff gets talked about and the rest of it just um, can sit quietly. <laughs> yeah. And maybe, um, you know, uh, choosing where your brand and kind of the personality of that brand fits best. So it's, so we don't have to be on all of the channels. Um, it's quite interesting, I think, and moving into um, kind of, a, a, again, a maturing of, you know, social media and all of these channels. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think, um, and, picking and choosing not just targeted marketing either but picking and choosing where your where your your brand fits naturally into the conversation rather than kind of assuming that my brand has to fit into every conversation wherever everybody is so you know and there are always really good and and not so good examples of that from brands around the place but and do you personally have any kind of creative or design practice 
on the side or after hours? Uh, not so much. I mean, my, yeah, my, my personal interests always lie in more in uh, architecture and uh, industrial design, furniture design, mm. but I don't really, I don't really practice it um, as such. I do have a couple of letter presses and back in the day when I had more time, I would, um, I would do uh, letterpress work. Yeah. These days, not so much. Maybe yeah. that's something I'll do in my old age after retirement. I'll get back into to letter pressing. Um, but no, we spend my wife and I spend a lot of time at our at our house gardening and um, you know just outside. I think yeah. I build ramps now, skate ramps with yeah. my son Henry. Um, that's that's the creative outlet that we have, and dirt jump ramps and things like that. <laughs> Um, what was the name of your furniture shop when you ran that? Uh, marked, M-A-R-K-T. Yeah. It means market in yeah. Dutch, which is just about the variety of, of things you might bump into. Yeah. Uh, but we also we also thought that that name was apt because that I guess that Dutch um, way of thinking again these were beautiful design, but we everything that we brought in was um, was vintage, so it had already been used, yeah. and none of it was fancy. Everything is. There's a, you know, that idea of something that's beautiful has beauty and utility, and that's a really the Dutch way. So we thought, you know, a market is really a way that a place that you can go and browse the common everyday objects um, that actually are really quite beautiful and useful just on their own. So, um, so that's where the name. Um, and finally, um, what words of wisdom would you impart to other creatives and designers practicing out there today? Um, to Two quotes come to mind. Um, one is from, so I'm not going to start with my words of wisdom, of course. Um, I'm going to go back into, you know, a hero of mine and choose his words of wisdom. But Charles Eames um, used to always say the details are not the details. They are the design. And I think a lot of times as designers will fall into the trap of, um, maybe I'll restate that. I think a lot of people see design as details and as an outcome and as a thing. That chair is a nice design. I think design is not an object or a noun or a thing. I think it. I think design is a verb, and I think it's about design thinking that you know, as we call it now. And I think it isn't just in the tiny little details or the craft of the physical making of something design is the thinking of the big picture and it's the planning. And so when I hear a a quote like that, that's what I think of. It isn't in the details. It's from the planning all the way to the details. And there are details all the way along the way that allow us to get that right. You've given me a follow-up question then. Um, Have I? (laughs) Do you think that design can solve and or help with the big hairy problems of our world today then yeah i do i think um it's that's that's really that's a really interesting um thing to think about Uh, i think people think about science or maths or engineering as as the way to solve all those problems and i you know if say we take um climate change for example um just as one example and i suppose it is science that might solve that but it's it's that verb of design and design thinking that's actually going to um, get in underneath the underneath all the mess of the problem and come up with a solution. So, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Design is such a broad, broad 
thing that we need to apply to all of these big problems. And then in the end, hey, design is that thing that's going to sort out the details to make sure it's aimed properly mm. and built properly so that it works. Life's big questions, eh? This could send us on a whole other podcast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think Maybe it could. we'll have to come back to this. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, I was listening to um, a podcast this morning on the New York Times about um, uh, California's targets yeah. to um, get all the gas guzzling cars off the road and just, just focus on electric cars only by 2035 and all of the problems that that kicks up trying to redesign an entire infrastructure that can cater to that many electric vehicles. Mm. Um, yeah, you're right. It's a, it is an entire podcast on its own. Mm. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Heath. I think always great to hear about um, everyone's uh, journeys into this uh, community and industry and, and um, yeah. gain some insights into what you do day to day. So thanks very much for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah.